Hello. It's good to be back. Um, hopefully you want us back. Otherwise, we'll probably cry. No, we won't. <laughs> God is good, isn't he? Um, we, are, we are starting a new series that Jody said. Oh, I'm going to unplug this. It's so loud. Ah, thank you. Something back there was making some noise. Can you hear me back there? Okay, good. Well, can you say with me, can you say answers? You know, I, I think people are looking for answers. I think they really are. There's a, there's a lot of information, and not always good information, on the Internet, um, which is um, where people go to, or they go to cha-cha. That's where they used to go to, right? Who, who's used cha-cha before? You know, so you put this, you know, you text them a question, and then they text you back. I, I'd always ask them what Christianity was, so I'd make them have to search it out. <laughs> Explain salvation to me, cha-cha. It is the discussion, and they would explain it, and I go, and how can I be saved? What's the answer? <laughs> but, but, you know, people go to the internet, and they go to Wikipedia, um, and they, they try to find answers of how Christianity works, and I think, you know, the Bible is the source, and it's not just random Bible verses, they have to have context to them, and this is a, a series that could go on for, you know, a thousand years. Um, because there's so much information. I think I'm going to try to collect the best uh, questions and try to provide the best answers to the best questions and then supplement it during the week as, as we see fit. Um, I am going to be dealing with some other world religions, also atheism, science, not against science, to cooperate with science, but see what science reveals. Um, and then culture, uh, God and culture, that'll be one of the weeks I'm going to be talking about, you know, how does God and politics work and God and sexuality and, you know, God and just, you know, the culture? How do we think about media and those kinds of things? And I, 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 this is not going to be um, Eric watching CNN or Fox News and uh, giving you kind of his uh, personal editorial. This is Eric looking at the scripture and seeing what God says about these things. How many think this is important? If you believe the Bible is the word of God, then you're going to go to it. And uh, I think these need balanced responses. I think they do. Um, often the church, you know, touts the Ten Commandments and throws them out there as if the gospel was all about the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments are, are there. But one of the reasons Jesus came is because we weren't following any of those commandments, were we? How many would admit you fell short of the Ten or all the Ten? Did anyone here love the Lord perfectly? Did anyone here not lie or be deceptive? How many have been a liar and been deceptive? How many know a bigger liar than you? Just point to him right now. Just point right at him. Him or her. She is a huge liar. Well, it's all kind of relative, right? Because God is not a liar. And when he talks about integrity, he's not just, you know, trying to, um, you know, smash people down. He's trying to really expose who he is. And I'm also going to mention world religion, so I don't want it to come off as a, as a contest who can throw farther um, or try to bash other religious systems. Um, but I do have to mention them, and I'm going to mention them by name as I go through so that you can draw contrast to the belief systems. So I, I'm going to be basically taking Christianity and comparing it to atheism, to um, Mormonism, 
that, the, that there's not an equal sign there where Christianity equals that, that, that there's some distinctions, and also uh, Hinduism and Islam. And I'm going to do this uh, based on the belief systems uh, from the literature itself so that you know that it's um, what they're believing. And I'm, I also, I won't do it this time, but after this, I'll be taking questions from people as well. So if you see some of these topics and you have some good questions, um, go ahead and think of them, and we'll have some question and answer. How many would like some question time? Um, so, so you can ask questions, and then um, I'll either answer them right on the spot, or if they're long answers, I'll pull to the side afterwards and give you um, more details, or um, I'd be glad to meet with you and answer some of the questions. Um, this, is what I, this is what I live for, um, to, um, to hopefully represent the Lord um, in ministry and to uh, defend uh, what he believes and what he represents himself to be by um, proclaiming his word. So, um, and if there's any other topics that you think I'm missing in there, because there's a lots of them, and if you want specific ones answered related to these, uh, just write them on a piece of paper and hand them to me, and I'll see if I'll, I can cover that one for you. Okay? Fair enough? Yeah. Everyone hear me? Yeah. Okay, so if you have a certain question, go, gosh, I really want the answer to this one, um, do it, and I'll be glad to have a discussion with you. Lord, I pray that you um, open up your word, Lord, and Lord, I don't want to pick on other belief systems, Lord, but I do want to distinguish your word, Lord. And, and I pray, Lord, just as a dollar bill, Lord, has a certain look, um, anything that doesn't look like it is counterfeit. We need to know not necessarily what the counterfeit looks like, but what the real thing is. And Lord, you are our study. We want to study what you believe and what you think about these things. And so I pray that your text uh, will just make these things clear. I pray that your grace uh, would be upon us, that you'd give us revelation to the scriptures, and you'd help it transform our lives. Lord, your word is great. It's awesome. And you love your people. You're drawing them close to you. I pray, Lord, that you would give us the mercy for this season, for this time, for each person here. And just in your own heart, just invite the Lord in. Just say, Lord, speak to me. Open my heart. Maybe you need God for a specific situation. He's the God who can answer. Just invite him in right now. Just say, God, I invite you into my life. Lord, we thank you. In Jesus' name, can you say amen? Amen. Well, I am going to focus on seven things that are distinct about Christianity. There are certain things that appear to be real. So if I say grace of God, a lot of people talk about grace. Um, but I'm going to distinguish how Christianity is truly grace. And um, I'm going to start with the first one, number one. And this is what distinguishes Christianity from the different belief systems. And I'll give some examples along the way. I won't give every exhaustive example. The first one, in Christianity, we acknowledge our need to be rescued. Do I hear an amen? How many of you would say, I need to be saved, I need to be rescued? Okay, do you think you can rescue yourself? Well, do you think the person next to you thinks they can rescue themselves? Well, do you think they can rescue you? Then your only hope must be the Lord. We have to acknowledge our need to be rescued. In the world, atheism doesn't have a hard what is right and what is wrong. 
because it can fluctuate based on the population, based on the people. You can never have a definitive objective, this is right, this is wrong, because there is no standard except for the opinions of men. In other words, if Hitler would have won World War II, then guess what? Then that would be the law of the land. And that would be what was right. And if someone revolted, then that would be what was right, the new set of principles. God is saying that there are a set of principles and a set of ideals, which is himself, which is called, can everyone say, truth. He is truth. He's not talks about truth, but he is the truth itself. He is the life itself. He is the way itself. We have to acknowledge our need to be rescued, and this is not a difficult thing. We need to be rescued. This is not a Christian idea that says, gosh, you know, let's try to make people feel like they need to be rescued. If you're just honest with yourself, you have a mirror or you hang out with people long enough, you'll know that you have imperfection within you. Now, the person from a different religion might say, yeah, we have problems, but we just need to overcome those problems. We can do it, in other words, within us, is the inherent goodness to change our evil to good. In other words, the good in me is better than the evil in me, and that good will overcome that evil, and it's all internal. In other words, there's no need for God. I just internally need my goodness to overcome my badness so I can be good for God. And then God will see my goodness and go, oh, there is some goodness. Thank you for changing around. I know you don't need me for this, but now I'm here and you can join my God club. That's kind of how it is. Is that true or not? The thing is, in Christianity, you come as you are. Amen? In fact, I've talked to people where they go, man, I'm just not ready to go to church yet. I go, why? Because I still got sin. And I go, well, think of that sin that you're struggling with. Okay, let's say imagine it was gone. Then you'd come? Like that's the only sin you got? The one you're thinking of right now. Think of the sin you're struggling with right now. How many have some sin in your life that you'd love to see gone? Raise your hand. Okay, boom. Let's pretend it's gone. Is that it? Now you're at the state of perfection? Listen, if we said you had to be perfect to come to church, Jody would be the only one who could come. (laughs) Where is she? (laughs) I'm teasing her. You know, no, she couldn't come. Nobody could come, right? Because, and listen, I want you to see King David because King David, you know, is different than most of the politicians today. He says, Lord, wash away all my iniquity. Here's the king of the land, really most of the free world at the time. Cleanse me from, can everyone say, my sin. For I know my transgressions, my sins, my iniquities, my transgressions. My sin, it's ever before me. It's always right there. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. And there's so many belief systems that believes that mankind is born in this purity of no sin at all, has no tendency for sin. It's not until you tell your kid when he's like one or two and you go, don't touch that. And he goes, you mean this? Oh, he must have learned that sin from me. How many know that your kids can sin on their own? How many have discovered that? You know what I mean? They, they do. You either are going to make an excuse for them or you're going to recognize, wow, my kids sin too. They're like, you know, and I think some Christian parents are trying to teach their kids to be these perfect kids so that, and all they're going to do is fake it. 
You'd rather them be themselves and teach them how to turn to God with their sin to get help when they're young rather than expecting them just to have more integrity. Come on, I expected better from you. The little kid ought to go, but mom, we're sinners. (laughs) Right? Because you know that you need God. Amen? How many, when you first came to the Lord, recognized your need for God really desperately? How many have been walking with the Lord 25 years or more and realized you still need God? That's right. It hasn't changed, has it? But you've probably grown in holiness. You've probably grown in integrity. And I'd I'd ask you, who would you give the credit to? Yourself or would you give it to God? In truth? Is it him? Is it him? He says this. We need to acknowledge our sins. You know, in in other belief systems, um, you know, they recognize that the man has the determination to make himself good or bad. In other words, he's the arbitrator of his own righteousness. Just get better. Meditate more. Pray more. Face the right direction longer. Be more consistent. God says, no, it's in your nature that there's sinfulness. You need freedom. You need a new nature. You need deliverance. You need to be born again. The caterpillar, as much as he wants to fly, cannot. He becomes completely liquid. There's no evolutionary repeated mechanism that turns you completely into liquid, molten liquid, and then reconstitutes and takes those legs, and now they're reconstituted into something else, and all of a sudden you got wings. You can fly. You need to be born again. Amen? You need to be born again. Some say no. Put on the next slide. They go, man, no, my way is okay. And listen what the Bible says about that. If you think that, I'm okay, I'm a pretty good guy. Yeah, compared to who? Well, I watch serial killers on YouTube, so I'm pretty good. Right? That's how the serial killers argue with each other. I killed 17. Hey, I'm pretty good. I only killed 10. Then you have the other murderer, and he goes, I only killed one. The other guy goes, I never killed anybody. I did hit some people. Well, I never hit anybody, but I gossiped about them. I never gossiped about anybody, but I did kick them in the shins. You know, all a man's ways seem right to him. It seems right, doesn't it? How many have ever been in an argument when your spouse or someone is trying to tell you your sin and you hear yourself justifying yourself? Has that ever happened to you? You are liars. Come on, has that ever happened to you? Be honest. (laughs) There's a bunch of you guys going, no, no, it's not me. I've seen it happen to others. Yeah, what's the matter with you guys? Come on. Listen. I've heard it where someone is telling me something and I'm justifying it myself. No, I'm not like that. And God's in the other ear going, yes, you are. You're exactly like that. They go, no, I'm not. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. And then all you're doing is inviting a longer trial for God to show you that you are. Isn't that what happens? So for the next three months, you're like, it's everywhere. You are like this. You are like this. And finally, at the end, you go, yeah, I realized (coughs) yesterday that I was like this. You realized it the whole time, didn't you? Listen, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. I remember Jody sharing Christ with me, and she asked me if I was a sinner, and I told her no. (laughs) What was I thinking? 
I could justify pretty much everything, but everything was leading me to death. The scripture, Romans 6.23, says, For the wages of sin is what? Death. But the gift of God is eternal life to Jesus Christ our Lord. Can everyone say gift? It's a gift. It's a gift that you don't earn. You may say no. Let me, let me put it in a different way, this understanding who we are, in some other words, okay? Man, put on the next slide if you would. Man is understood for who he is. When I say we have to recognize that we're sinners, the atheist who does not believe in God will say, yeah, I got flaws, I got, I got problems too. No, no one comes off usually in saying they're perfect. They got flaws. But I always say compared to what? Like, like if you're flawed, flawed, Compared to what? Say, I need to be more integrous. Why? It's good. Why is it good? Is there such a thing as good? Yeah. Well, then there must be something called evil then. If there's good, then there's evil. Right? Isn't that true? If there's good, then there has to be evil, and then there has to be a good and evil maker who makes determines what's good and evil. Otherwise, you just make it up and you can just change it and then there's no good and evil again. There's no line that determines that anything's good or evil. So even acknowledging the fact that you recognize that there's good, you're acknowledging that there's a good and evil maker, which means that you're recognizing that there must be some kind of objective truth in the, in the world. And that has to be from something that is transcending the world. It's got to be bigger than the world itself. How many say Amen. Now, here's the parallel. I could say Christianity is different because it recognizes that man is a sinner and needs to be rescued. You could say in your mind, I can say in my mind, I can say, okay, well, that means that God just looks down and he goes, look at all the sinners down there. There they are. When that doesn't tell the whole story of Christianity. We need to be saved, but we understand that, first of all, we are created in God's image. How many say amen to that? Listen, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. David, the same one who says that he's been a sinner from birth, also says, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. That's letter A. And letter B, we are created in God's image, but can we also understand that without the redemption of God, that this image of who God created us that can experience emotion and life and pain and all these things also has been tainted by this pain, by this sin, by iniquities, by oppression. How many can admit this? Now, you could say it was someone else's fault. It was Freud's fault. You know, it was, you know, it was the culture. It was my parents. They made me do it. And my parents were not perfect either, and I'm not a perfect parent. But can I tell you, I took whatever sin that they handed down and I improvised on it. How many know what I'm talking about? I created my own sin. It's my own sin. It's my own issue. This isn't, this isn't a Christian thing that I should have to force you to believe. Like, you better believe this. It's Christianity. Come on, you went to church. Believe this. This should be self-evident. You're made not like an animal. You have rationale and human emotions and perceive beauty in a way that is transcending the mere animal. And then you have to ask yourself, but I'm also tainted by the sin. You see your own perfections, imperfections, where you desire what is good and don't always carry it out. There's something deficient. How many can admit that? 
This is just what Christianity teaches. And that's why you have in other belief systems, people are trying to get their life in order so they can go to church. They use terms like becoming more worthy. I need to become more worthy to be accepted by God. Can you imagine God looking up and going, man, where are the worthy people? You know, where are the worthy ones? And then, and then when they show up, he's going, okay, finally I can fill the church up with all the worthy ones. When Jesus comes, it's such an opposite way, doesn't he? He contrasts that religion. Who can say, I have kept my heart pure? I am clean and without sin. Listen, listen to this explanation. This is a, a letter written to church leaders. It's one of the last letters written in the New Testament. He says, if we claim, that's a present tense, if we make the claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Boy, I think people treat the opposite. They say, if the truth is in you, then you don't have any sin at all. But in our case, in mankind's sin, he say, say, sake, he's saying if we claim to be with no sin, then that truth of God is not in us. Because if the truth of God is in you, he's going to be showing you your sin, that it's evident. Now, aren't you glad that we are not condemned for this sin, but that we are being saved from this sin? Isn't this good news? This is a distinction. This is Paul, and this is the last one I'm going to show on this one. Romans 3, 9. Paul in Romans chapter 1 and 2 gives this big list of the sins of the world. He starts naming. They, they deny the creator. You know, they're inflamed with lust for one another. They're self-centered, arrogant, boastful. He names all these things in chapter 1 and 2. And he's anticipating the audience, which are Jews and Gentiles that are basically, um, and Greeks and philosophers, they're all part of this Roman church. And, and he anticipates what they're going to say. And what they're going to say is, yeah, you're right, Paul. That's what they're doing. Thanks for pointing out the sin. And I think sometimes the American church is like that. We find out what all the sin is, and then we put it out on posters in the front. You know, we stand for the Ten Commandments. We stand for this, and we stand for that. As if, and we do believe in those things, and we do stand for those things. But not as if we are the beacon of that hope. The beacon of hope is God alone. Amen? And so what you have here is they're saying in Romans 1 and 2, yeah, Paul, you know, that, that's, that's right. They are like that. It's them. And that's how he could say it. You know, I go to church, but they don't. You know what I mean? I, I pray and they don't. You know, as if your sin has been somehow disappeared. And this is what he says. He says, what shall we conclude then? Are we any better? And sometimes the church goes, yeah. Don't they? We're way better. You know, you just have to talk to your spouse a little longer. <laughs> right? And look what Paul says, not at all. We're not any better. Not the Jews, not the Gentiles. We're not any better. There is no one righteous. We're not talking about, man, I really helped somebody. Or, you know, I was down the street and I bought their dinner for them. That was 50 bucks, man. I, I'm good. That was a good act. But that doesn't equal you. Righteousness equals you. Why? Because I gave some money away. It is a righteous act. But righteousness in the Christian world is perfection. Righteous. Okay? How many can say we are not that? We are being made righteous by God. Amen? He says there is no one righteous, not even one. 
There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. In other words, people will say they seek after God. I seek after God, but they're usually seeking after something that they wish to be God or something that they wish to be. Why not just, let me tell you about the God of the Bible. He's always better than the God you're thinking about. How many say amen? The way most people answer this is there are some righteous, probably a bunch. There are some who understand, and there are many who seek God. That's how most people say it. I'm glad that the Bible is distinct. It's different, is it not? Listen, we acknowledge our need for rescue. How many say, yes, I need to be rescued? Raise your hand. Say, I can't rescue myself. Turn to someone else and go, and you can't rescue me. Thanks for trying. God may use you. Okay, that separates Christianity. Number two, we have a perfect founder. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. But Mohammed, who founded in the 600 BC or AD, after the time of Christ, 600 years later, and of course, the very first books of, of Islam, of the Quran, don't show up for another four or 500 years that we have. We don't have any records of any of the Qurans going back that year, so we don't know if they're accurate. But he did claim to be a prophet, and he died, and he's gone. How many know that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and he is still alive? This is a completely different thing. Not just someone who was on the deathbed and had, you know, their technically brain dead, and boom, they were hit with some electric shock, and they came back for a couple years, and they died. Jesus Christ came alive, and in the same way that he rose up, he'll come back. And we are testimony of this, are we not? How many here say they have experienced the risen Christ in their own life? You can testify to it. Raise your hand high if that's true. This is a testimony of Christ. Who among you, this perfect founder, who among you can prove me guilty of any sin? Okay? If I'm telling you the truth, why don't you believe me? We have a perfect founder versus these imperfect founders. You know? We have, you know, even in the history of the church, if, if you're from a Mormon background, you know that Joseph Smith himself did not claim to be sinless. But Jesus Christ did. You have to ask yourself, Jesus Christ, when he builds the church, can he keep it together? When he says, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Are you saying that it can be prevailed against it? Well, our founder of this church is Jesus Christ. And I've had people ask me, you know, why is the name of Jesus Christ not in the name of the actual church? Well, it's considered the church of Christ as a byline. But the reason is, is because Jesus Christ is the living God. He is not in the name. He is in the people. How many say amen? He's in the people. He's not in the structure. He's the adventure church is sheetrock and organizational structures with some leaders. The church is the living humans filled with the spirit of God. Amen? We have a perfect founder. Um, in fact, just skip that next one. Number three. Our founder is still alive, like I said. Jesus rose from the dead. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. I was dead. Behold, I'm alive forevermore. I hold the keys of death in Hades. This is an incredible fact of history. 
This is not something that's arbitrary, like someone saying, you know, maybe he was alive, maybe he wasn't. You only have the historical evidence and the existential evidence. In other words, do people testify? All they had to do at that point was reveal the body at any time. They revealed the body, they could have done away with this thing. And every couple of years, you'll get something on the Discover Channel that says, we found some bones. Could this be the bones of Jesus? You know, here's the thing. There are tons of secular, non-Christian testimony about Jesus Christ. If anyone had a reason to expose it, it would have been the Romans. And it would have been the Jews of that period to expose it. Yet they did not. They could not. And we are now 2,000 years later and have the same testimony. That Jesus Christ, our founder, is still alive. He is perfect and alive. That's why Jesus says, can anyone accuse me of sin? Can you think of any sin that Jesus committed? And the answer is no. But you can read the histories of all the different religions that I've mentioned, and you will find flaws and sins in each of those founders. That They were flawed. They were imperfection. I want a perfect leader, don't you? Don't you want a perfect founder who walks in perfection? How many say amen to that? Listen, go ahead and number four, and I'm just going to give this little intro. There was a, a get-together, kind of a banquet party. There were some speeches and then a get-together that C.S. Lewis was invited to. He's the one who wrote the book Mere Christianity, The Screwtape Letters, Chronicles of Narnia, those series. He was also good friends of those of you like Lord of the Rings, uh, J.R. Tolkien, who was instrumental in leading him to the Lord. And he shows up, um, C.S. Lewis, at this party, and they were arguing about what makes Christianity different than other belief systems. And there was all these different religions represented. And they were saying, well, maybe it's this, or maybe there was a virgin birth. And, you know, there's others that had tried to claim that there was a virgin birth. And he was saying, you know, they believe in the commandments. They were coming up with typical things that the world would offer. And C.S. Lewis walked in, and they said, he says, I know what it is. And he says, it's not easy. He says, it's grace. We're saved by grace in Christianity. I cannot tell you how distinct and how incredible this is. Every religion uses the word grace, but they don't mean it in the same way. And, and I'll, just, I'll just read this, and then I'm going to give you a few examples that I've encountered. Because of his great love for us. Why, why did God do it? Because he was so sick and tired of your stinking sin. Is that the reason? Because what? What kind of love is that? Yeah, in in the Greek, it's the meta, right? It's the meta, the great, the great. It's the big, great love. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy. Look at your life and you think, I need a lot of mercy. Don't worry. God is rich. Yeah, but does he have as much as Bill Gates? Yes. And as much as the descendants of Steve Jobs, he's got all that money and more. He is rich in mercy. And how many of you need quite a bit of mercy? A couple of you. Don't worry. God's rich. Got a lot of mercy. He made us alive. Right? When? When did he do it? Even when we were dead in our transgressions. Right? Colossians says when we were dead in our sins and transgressions, he made us alive. 
when you were dead by grace and because of his great love, and verse 8 says, for it is, can everyone say with me, by grace. It's how? How is it? Okay, and then you what? Have been saved, right? Have been, which is present tense. You have been, so it's already active. Saved, which is the perfect tense. So here you have it in past perfect tense. You have been saved. And here you are. How? By what? Grace. And he says, through what? Faith. By means of faith. And then here he gives this example. Okay, it's called the neutered demonstrative pronoun. The word, I know. So how many, do you mind if I get into a little Greek? That might be helpful. Do you do mind? Because I can skip it. I think it's important. By grace you've been saved through faith. Can everyone say, and this? Again, there is the neutered, which means it's not male nor female. Okay? It's looking at this antecedents clause for you who are like to study the Greek. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that what? So that no one can boast by grace. Now, I want to ask you this. I, I, I talked to someone, and you may be from a Mormon background, and say, I believe in the grace of God. And I've had Mormons tell me, and I do believe that they believe in a measure of grace. They say, I believe in the grace of God. And I said, I, I talked to a young missionary who came and visited me. And I said, to you, he goes, I totally believe in the grace of God. And I said, that it saves you. He said, yes. And I said, oh. So it's not your works. And he said, no, it's, it's my works. And I said, I thought you believed in the grace. Yeah, but if I do it, then I'll be rescued and I'll be progressing. And I said, if you do it, that means it's by your works. And he said, no, it's by grace. And he goes, well, I guess not. And I said, grace is unmerited favor. Grace is something you didn't earn. Grace is why when someone invited you to church or explained the gospel to you at a McDonald's, who doesn't matter where it is, and you heard it in your heart, you know and you knew, I did not deserve this. I'm getting something I didn't earn. And we earn everything. You sell something and you get that commission and based on the percentage of the commission that you negotiated when you got that sales job, you get that percentage. If you sell it, you get it. If you work so long, you get the paycheck at the end. Whether you make five bucks an hour or a hundred bucks an hour. You know, your time and your work and your effort gets a reward. Those are called just wages. Now, the problem is the wages go both ways. Like I said earlier, the wages of sin is death. Oh, and if we've sinned and we have, then our payment is death. But the gift of God, the gift, the grace of God is eternal salvation through Christ. We are saved by the grace of God. You were saved by the grace when you first came. And you first saw your sin, and maybe you were in desperation. My life's not going good. You don't even understand all your sin. You just knew the direction was no good. And the grace of God appeared to you, which has appeared to all men. And he showed himself, and he revealed himself in some way or through some situation. And it is by grace 
You have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works. So that no one can boast. This is This is the difference. Now, put on the next slide. I'm just going to go through this real quickly. By grace. Put on the next one if you can. By grace. Can everyone say grace? Grace. Can you say charis? Okay. And then you say have been saved. Can everyone say sozo? Okay. This is one. And again, grace, by the way, is a feminine. And then you have the pronoun there with saved, which is a masculine, masculine pronoun. And then through faith, which again is, is feminine. And then, and this, can everyone say, and this? Put the next slide on. This, again, is called the neutered demonstrative pronoun. The demonstrative is that the this refers to this phrase. And some people say, well, the grace, by grace, I've been saved through faith, that's the gift of God. And that's true. It summarizes that sentence, okay, that by grace, You know, I've been saved through faith. And this, what's this? This, saved by grace, faith, is not of myself. So it's the this is wrapping up demonstrative everything that I've said before. This is not of myself. Then you ask, well, is the grace, is that of myself? No. And you say, well, gosh, is the salvation? Maybe it's just pointing to salvation. And someone said, well, if if the word this was in the male, then it would wrap up the male um, gender and the pronoun and it would be saved is the one that's not the gift of God and is through faith a gift of God or is it just when it's wrapped up together and this is where you get into let me emphasize the second part first this is can everyone say it's not from yourself is it from yourself now I want to ask you if you have a background or you're part of a different belief system Let's take Islam, Muslim. Do you think by grace you've been saved? And it's not of yourselves? Or is it dependent on yourself to make it? If you come from a Mormon background, just a distinction, again, not to pick on you, just to bring a distinction, we should be able to have these talks. Is it, is it a distinction? If you really look at it, are you rescued by the grace that God has given you? Or are your works adding to the equation? Because I see scriptures in the Book of Mormon that are after all we can do. Like, I can do all these things, and after that, the grace kicks in. Christianity says, I don't bring anything to the table. It's the grace of God. After all, he can do. Right? How many say amen? Amen. This is a distinction. It's not from yourselves. It's not by works. It's the gift of God. This is literally not from you. This is not your doing. There's nothing in the first clause. By grace, you've been saved through faith. And this is not of yourself. It's the gift of God. It's not by works. So that no one can boast. Now, this wrapping, this gender neutral, it's a neutered, which means... It doesn't distinguish whether it's male or female. You can put on the next slide there. No, back up, back up, back up. One more. Right, there you go. Just leave it right there. I showed you that I put a little F there for female and then male. 
Because this is neutered, it sums up the entire phrase. But there's another thing in the Greek that needs to be noticed here. And this is where some grammatical things are important. This is what they call a peri, P-E-R-I, phrastic construction. Which means that God could have used, and Paul could have used a single way to just wrap this up. Like, hey, salvation is a gift of God. It's not of yourself. Salvation that I gave you with Christ is just a gift of God. But paraphrastic means that he broke it down into compound things to bring out the distinctions of the second part. Meaning that these multiple terms which sum up an entire phrase are actually all true. How many know by grace is not from yourselves? How many say amen? But the by grace, the emphasis here is, it's true, You've been saved. By grace, you've been saved. And how? Through faith. This is not from yourself. Can you say, say, it's not from me? It's a gift of God. It's not by my works. I don't get to brag about it. Christian, can you say that again? I can't brag about it. Paul says this greatly. He says, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Right? There's another scripture that says, what did you ever get that you did not receive? I think this is something that's so misunderstood in the Christian world. By grace, the next one, not from yourself, not by works. It's a gift of God. And I think I should say this. You find the rhetoricalness of this in the scriptures because how many of you have put your faith in Christ? How many have heard scriptures that say, according to your faith? So shall it be done, right? But that's where you get those scriptures that talk about this tension. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act. Praise God. I'm saved by grace. Amen? You've been saved, paraphrastic, not from yourself, not by works, gift of God. Through faith, not from yourself, not by works, gift of God. That's so that no one can boast. Romans 12, uh, verse 3 says, to each one of you, God has allotted a measure of faith. How many say amen? A distinction, we have a perfect founder. We acknowledge our sinfulness. He's a living founder. Number four, we're saved by grace. No other religion can point to this. They have to point to something that they've done. It has to be man-centered. And we are not saved by our man. We're saved by God. And what does this mean? Number five, God is looking for the sinners. Is he not? Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. What? (laughs) How do you think the losers end up here? Right? I, I, I didn't come to call the righteous. That is so contradictory to so many things, isn't it? Usually, when people are telling you about their religion, they just go, listen, man, you just got to clean up your life. You got to get your ducks in a row. You need to start. Attendance will help your righteousness. Start coming. You know, just start praying with your family. They're giving you all kinds of good works. Are these pretty good works? Yeah, they're good. Are they going to save you? No. And so instead of just coming as you are and saying, Lord, I'm a broken man like Isaiah, he says, Lord, I come from a people who got a foul mouth, and I got a foul mouth, unclean lips. 
And he goes, and God says, okay, let me touch you. And God touches him and he goes, let me clean that out. God works on the inside, does he not? Listen, God is looking for the sinners. We see the two people that stand before God, the publican who is basically the, the, the sinner. He stands away from God and says, Lord, have mercy on me. I know I'm a sinner. And he says, and the other guy is kind of in front of him, sticks out his chest, and he goes, God, I'm thankful. I've always been to church, and I look good. And I read the, I read the Bible. I have a good, quiet time. How did you come to Christ? Well, I decided God would need me. And so I made the big decision that I was going to do it. And I've, I meet young people like this. I made the decision I was going to do it. I worry about those people. Because the one who has come to Christ is the one who says, and I recognize my evil. And I recognize my sinfulness. And I recognize the disparity between me and who God is and what he wanted me to become. And I see that distance, that gap, a divine gap. And the bridging of the gap isn't going to happen by my works like every other religion, but it's going to be bridged to the cross of Christ, which is going to connect me to that righteousness. And he's going to make me righteousness on the outside, on the inside. God is looking for the sinners. Amen? Put on the next one. God is reaching out to man in Christianity and other religions. It's man reaching out to God. Such a big difference. I, I meet people all the time and I say, Hey, you should come to you should come to church, and and I can I can always I know what they're thinking because I've heard it so many times. They'll be going, well, I don't know if I'm ready. Why? Because you got wasted the other night. You know, I'll just give them something really radical. So you're having sex last night and getting wasted. Well, no, I'm doing pretty good, liar. <laughs> yeah, as soon as you stop that, then you'll need Christ. How many have seen God change your desires from the inside out? I was stoned the night before I came to Christ. Stoned out of my mind. Seriously. I cursed the concept of God about three weeks before I came to Christ. I said, if there is a God out there, I didn't believe it. I said, two words to you. And that's when God pursued me. <laughs> Seriously. That's, that's when it happened. That's when God, I mean, I was so at the end of myself. I, I could literally look in the mirror and I go, I hate that guy. How many know exactly what I'm talking about? I, I hate that guy. But some of you go on, I hate that guy, but I'm going to change. <laughs> well, good luck. We'll see you next year. Eventually, when you get sick of you, you'll find out who the real you is from God. And he'll show you that he's the one who actually made you. And you're not going to become a religious robot. You're going to find out who God is. Last two, quickly. There is a, in Christianity, there's a worthy afterlife. Some of you know Islam's afterlife. If you've done a certain kind of things, you know, that for, the, for the male, he gets a bunch of virgins. Um, and he can he, he basically can get what he wants his flesh to have now, right? In other words, the answer is the flesh. It isn't God, it's the flesh. Now, I don't know why the virgins are looking for, toward the afterlife. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's a different thing. 
but it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? That doesn't, it's not as important, right? Especially in a male-dominated culture that we live in. But, and I, I, have, I have done this. I've done mutual funerals for people where I've seen someone come to Christ, but they also wanted to have another religion representative. I've done it with New Agers. I've done it with people from Buddhist backgrounds. I've done it with LDS backgrounds. One of the things that I've noticed about the afterlife is I did this one with this one, one gentleman. He was a, a bishop, an LDS bishop, and really, really great guy. This is not, again, it's not a personal. This is bringing a contrast. And he was saying to the person, his, his whole thing to them was, and now they get to go see grandpa and be with grandpa forever. Have you ever been to a high school reunion? And, and you knew this person at lunch. You know what I mean? You'd hang out with them lunch, and you'd kind of go, what sandwich did you get? Did you get Doritos? What'd you get? And you didn't really know them that well, but you kind of knew them pretty well. I like my grandpa. I don't want to spend a billion years with just him. Do you? A billion years? I am sick of grandpa! We're going to rake the leaves again. I was like, we've already done that for a million years. What are we going to do now? I'm sorry, but if you're married to me, you're part of my family, and I'm going to be there, and you're looking forward to me, you need to get higher ambitions. Seriously. I mean, I, want, I think it's not that I don't think it's true that you'll, that you'll see your loved ones. But listen, the God of the universe is what you get to encounter. Imagine when in his presence... All fear dissipates. All, everything that takes away peace is gone because it cannot stand in his presence. And your own righteousness can't get you there. There's no unholiness that can be before God. You have to be found in immortality, in purity, which is to be clothed in Jesus Christ. You have to be clothed in him. And then every tear that's there will be wiped away and moved away. And you think searching the internet's fun? Imagine searching the creator's mind and heart. I hate these pathetic pictures where you see a person sitting on some stupid cumulus nimbus cloud with a harp. I worked with the San Francisco Symphony. I recorded. I was the recording, one of the main recording guys for their, for the San Francisco Orchestra back in my recording days in California. And I recorded the harp. Anna Maria, best harpist, one of the best in the country, maybe the world. She's fantastic. About the 10th song, I'm going, I need to hear some electric guitar. I need some drums. I need some beat. I need something. It's just like there's only so much of that. Is that what you're looking forward to? I'm sorry, but the only worthy afterlife is what, what he says, he is my great reward, like Abraham said. You'll be in the presence of God, and trust me, Grandpa will find you. And he will tell you all about that presence as you experience it together. But you do not want to be building your own kingdom for the next thousand years. What are you going to build up there? Malls? Bookstores? 
ski slopes? God is the God who could do more than we can ask or imagine. And here's my last point. We, in Christianity, we experience and know God. That's part of the mission, to know God, the scripture says, and to make him known. To know him, to make him known. Why don't you close your eyes?